I want to talk to you this morning about lordship. I want to talk to you this morning about authority and following and surrender. Because surrender means, right, when we surrender, we submit to authority. I will never forget when I was a junior in high school, about 16 or so, I committed my life to full-time ministry when I was a sophomore in high school, so I was already, I'd already decided that I wanted to do this for the rest of my life. Um, and so we had, we had moved, and we were in a new area, and I went to a new youth group and went to the youth pastor and said, hey, I committed my life to full-time ministry last year. I want to be, I want to be you know, uh, your disciple. I want you to mentor me. Can you teach me everything there's to know? So very quickly, in a, in a pretty decently large youth group, um, like we took, well, anyway, uh, in a pretty decently large youth group, I became a junior counselor. How cool is that, right? I mean, like 16 years old, I was a junior counselor. And in my mind, you might as well have dropped the junior, right? Because I was just, I mean, I was a leader now. I was in charge, right? I was in charge. And so my first kind of responsibility was we took a youth retreat to the beach and we had different cabins. We were there for a couple nights. I think it was a weekend and all of that. And so I was one of the cabin leaders with an adult, right? So we had a junior counselor with an actual counselor. Again, I, we might as well have had two counselors because I was the, considered the junior counselor here. And we all know, right? I mean, we just know. And so um, something happens on youth retreats on the last night. Anybody ever been on a youth retreat or to a, a, a youth camp or something like that within the church? Okay, the last night in the girls' cabins, there's tears, right? Everybody's crying. They don't want to leave. Everybody's signing their, each other's Bibles, right? Like when we got here the other day, I couldn't stand you, but now we're leaving here BFFs, right? We're going to be so close. And then that lasts for like 36 hours, and then you don't talk to them again until next year, until next youth retreat. Oh, I don't know what happened last year, but this year's going to be totally different, All right? Totally different. Just, just, oh, give me a hug, right? Those, that's the girls' cabins, right? Now, the last night. The guys' cabins, completely different. There's Skittles. There's like all the candy comes out, all the food that we haven't eaten all week. Like all of that comes out, and it is pure chaos, right? In, in boys' cabins on the last night, right? Like, hey, we're going to be best. Yeah, whatever. Give me a Skittle, right? Give me a Twizzler. Pass the, you know, pass the Reese's, right? Like, it's just, it's just hyper. And, it's, and, and lights out is like, a, is, is like a thing of the past, right? Something happens on the last night of a youth retreat in guys' cabins where, like, lights out isn't a thing. And so as a counselor right? Newly named counselor, junior counselor, right? Remind you, I was thinking, I've got to be these guys' friends, right? Like, I want to make sure they want to come back to youth group. I want to make sure that I am their favorite leader, their favorite junior counselor, their favorite counselor of all time, right? So I start playing in to the candy, right? I'm like throwing Skittles. We're trying to see if we can get them in the, in the vents, right? And just make it in one shot. Like we're doing everything you shouldn't do, right? Like my worst nightmare now, which is why I'm not in youth ministry anymore. Blessings, Ian. Um, 
But like, like, you know, you're trying to do it. And then it got to be like a half hour past lights out. And the counselor got up and he said, you know, it's lights out. Everybody go to bed, turns the lights out. Well, it didn't stop there, right? And so like, even with the lights out, like I had a bunch of candy stash under my pillow. I'm chucking it at different kids. Like I'm totally like being a horrible example. And the counselor finally realized that I was the source of 110% of the problems that he was having. And so he pulls me out onto the, onto the deck of the cabin to basically lay into me and say, listen, you know, I need your help. It's time to calm down. Give, you know, turn it over, like hand over, hand over the Skittles, hand over the stuff you're throwing across the room. And so in my submission to my leadership over me, I looked back at him and I said, actually, the real problem here is you. (laughs) Making us go to bed and being so strict with the rules. We should be able to have fun. It's the last night. I had no idea anybody else was on that deck with us when we stepped out there. But I heard my youth pastor, Clint, say, Travis... I never expected that to come from you. I expected so much more out of you. Nothing else needed to be said. I don't know if they told me to go to bed because I don't remember anything else about that night. At that point, like every title in my mind was stripped from me and I was going to be a janitor for the like I was going to like, I, I had no idea what I was going to do for the rest of my life, but ministry was wrecked for me. I went to bed. He didn't, nobody had to tell me to go to bed. They probably did, but I went to bed. I didn't throw another Skittle or anything. And I remember that night marking me because I remember what my mom always taught me growing up. And it's something I've quoted 20 times from this pulpit as I was talking to somebody on Thursday. I said, here's how I'm going to start the message, and this will probably come up, and indeed, here it is, not even in my notes. They may not be right, but they're boss. They may not be right, but they're boss. And I could tell you 20 stories on the outset of this message of times in my life, probably more than 20, but let's just go with 20, okay? 20 stories where I could tell you how I have vividly and clearly learned that that's the case. Where I was right, the other party was wrong. I mean, just about a year and a half ago, I was driving down Running Hill Road, and I got pulled over for speeding. Police officer came up to me, and I looked at him, and I said, why me? There were so many people going faster than I was. I'm a pastor in the community. Shouldn't we be working together for this community? (laughs) And he blessed me with a ticket. Right? I I can point to so many stories where I've not done this well. And I think we don't really have a grasp on it as a culture. Christian culture, secular culture, period. In fact, in an article that was written October 30th in 2019, 
The article basically headlines with this, done by the Barna Group. 82% of young adults say society is in a leadership crisis. This is in 2019. Society is in a leadership crisis. This was a Christian study. And they go on to say that one of the major underlying causes of anxiety today is this. No leadership. No leadership. Now, if you're like me, yes, right? I'm on that bandwagon. There's no leadership, right? With lack of leadership, that's the problem. I mean, I, I've, I've pretty much read every leadership book there is to read. I love leadership. I'm a student of leadership. I enjoy it. We're reading a book as a staff right now about leadership. I love, I love it, right? But one of the issues I've found when it comes to leadership is not the issue of leadership. It's not the issue of good leaders, bad leaders, or anything like that. It's actually an issue of followership. You can't have leaders if you don't have followers. And so when it comes to lordship, when it comes to lordship, when it comes to this leadership crisis, what I want us to talk about today is not only, not only leadership and the fact that God places every uh, authority where he places them, and we've got to grapple with that, we've got to deal with that, we've got to wrestle with that, but, 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 but one of the things I think we have to deal with a little bit deeper is, am I a follower? Am I a good follower? Am I doing my job in response to lordship? Am I, am I, am I following the people that God has placed over me? So, I want us to look in Acts chapter 2. And as we kicked off last week, we're going to look at 12 things in the book of Acts over the next 11, 12 weeks of how the early church engaged as the body of Christ. How they engaged as the body of Christ. And the first one is, is lordship. And so I want to jump into Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 14. We're going to be bouncing all over these first two chapters of Acts over the next few weeks. But I want to spend today looking at this sermon. Starting 2.14, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, and the great magnitude and the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so what's happening here? Let me catch you up before we keep reading, right? Jesus has ascended into heaven, and the first 13 verses in the book of Acts, in, in, in this chapter, the Holy Spirit comes. The fulfillment. And people start, they start speaking in different languages, in different tongues of different languages. And the religious leaders are, are like, man, these, these, these guys are having a party. And Peter stands up, and this is very significant for us in the church of 2021. It's very significant for us because this was the first message preached after Jesus ascended into heaven. And who's giving it? Peter. 
The guy that denied Jesus three times has been restored three times. And then, and, and then all the way leading up to this point, he's the one that gathers them back in the upper room that we looked at last week. And now he's standing, taking a place where he is speaking and proclaiming the gospel to people. And I want you to think about his audience. He had the 119, 120 or so of, of the apostles and followers. I mean, he had Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was brought into Jesus' ministry from the beginning. And then he had the religious leaders that had given that basically were the reason Jesus was crucified right so he had people from all backgrounds sound familiar he had people from all beliefs he had people from different level of belief and different level of buy-in right he had people that didn't believe and they were all standing there and this was essentially the section we just read was the introduction to his message which was in response to the fact that religious leaders and people were thinking that these that these Jesus followers were out of their mind because the holy spirit had come and was causing them to act out the holy spirit had come and so the introduction to his message was, hey, these people aren't drunk as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. It's too early. That happens late. Anyway, okay. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. What an encouraging message. Right? I mean, this Jesus, I mean, Peter's not pulling any punches. He's, he's not setting them up. He's, he's not buttering them up. And listen, this message is about Jesus, right? Here's the meat of his message. Here's the crux of his message. You remember this Jesus? The one whom you crucified, the one whom you killed, whose blood is on your hands. Right? God raised him up loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. <sighs> Talk about praise forevermore. Listen, listen, just pause right there. Underline that verse, start that verse because we serve a God that cannot be even held down by death. I mean, somebody get excited this morning. I mean, we serve a God whom death can't even hold him down. Keep him down. I mean, that's the God that we serve. He can handle any mess that you're bringing to the table this morning. He can handle any doubt, any fear, any confusion that you're bringing to the table this morning. He can handle any relationship issue, any finance. He can handle it because death can't even handle it. I tell you, if you can't get excited about that, your skin's too tight. That's the God we serve. For David says concerning him, concerning Jesus, so Peter, Peter even references back. He did it earlier when he was in his introduction talking about the Holy Spirit. This is the promised Holy Spirit, right? The one Jesus even talked about in John 14 that he was going to send the helper after he ascended into heaven, right? And now he's getting into Jesus and he's going back. He's talking about David. David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand and I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad. My tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let the Holy One, let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. 
Verse 29, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Verse 30, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to, to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. In verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Verse 36 is the conclusion. It's where Peter lands the plane. It's that thing you wish that I would do 20 minutes before I do it every Sunday. Okay? He's landing the plane. He's summarizing this message, this proclamation that he's given. And he's saying, here's the point. Verse 36, here's the point. Let everyone know. Let all the house of Israel know for certain, for certain, because the Holy Spirit is here and because Jesus has ascended into heaven and he's, he's fulfilled the prophecy. He's done everything he said he was going to do. He's, and now he's gone to prepare a place for us. Therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Now, we're going to deal with their response to the message next week. So don't read ahead. I know some of you, you're already reading ahead and you already see what's happened, right? And for some of us, we know what happens at the end of the chapter, right? And we're already like, yes, go there, go there. Got to wait, okay? But I want to deal with this today. Because what Peter's saying is that if we're going to engage with God, if we're going to engage with this body that has now started after the ascension of Jesus, if we're going to buy into this, if we're going to engage with this, then we, we have to deal with an essential thing right off the bat. What's the essential thing? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. This is essential to the life of the believer. That Jesus is both Christ and Lord. He is Savior. He is God with us. He is present, but He is also Lord of our life. So let's look at the three things that I want to point out to you about this sermon. It's always three things, isn't it? It's always three things. Okay, anyway, the first thing I want to point out about the sermon is it's a good message. He explains what happened the Spirit had come. In that first section, his introduction as he's taking off, right? He explains what happened. The Spirit had come. The joyful worship, right, of the believers was not the result of too much wine. They're not drunk as you suppose. Uh, anybody remember? The, they're not drunk as you suppose. They're just very, 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 very filled with the Holy Anybody? Any something? Those are my Pentecostal days coming out, okay? The joyful worship of the believers was not the result of too much wine. It was the evidence of the Holy Spirit, of the promised Holy Spirit. And Peter, and Peter notices a couple things about the, about, about the early church and being in the, in, the, in the present. And look, this is what they've waited on. We talked about it last week. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. They've been waiting for this power to live by. They've been waiting for it. Now it's here. 
the power. And, Holy, and, and, and Peter gives this message in response to the fact that it was so powerful, it was transformative. It took over their speech. It took over their joy. I mean, so much so, these religious leaders thought they were at a party, right? And that's, that's, that's why Sunday morning, when you walk into the, to the church, it feels like a party. <laughs> I hope this isn't the tone of some of your parties. Otherwise, you need to have me over with some Skittles and Twizzlers and I can show you. No, I'm just kidding. But all throughout Scripture, it talks about when people are encountered by God, when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's power, there's worship, there's joy unspeakable. And, and wouldn't you imagine, I mean, just bear with me here. I'm not, being, I'm not intending to be as, as, as critical as I'm sounding, but let's just look at the text. The people on the outside, these religious leaders, they saw what was happening to the people that followed Jesus, and Jesus is now ascended into heaven, and they thought they were drunk. Because they were so passionate. They were moving. The Spirit was taking action and moving and transforming these people. And yet we walk into church and we just sit down. And some of us don't even crack a smile. Let me tell you something. These people were so excited. They were so excited, number one, because Jesus was who he says he was, right? And he continually, continually, continually affirmed and proved himself to them that everything he had been teaching, everything he had been doing in and through them, everything that he was, everything that he stood for, everything that he said was true and real because now he's gone before us. Just like he said he would in John 14. And he sent the Spirit. And so just imagine the celebration. Imagine the celebration. And the power. So he talks about what had been done. Number two. Number two, he explained how it happened. Which is powerful. As we think about how it happened, he explained how it happened. He goes into talking about verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. And he basically goes through the life of Jesus. A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs, all the things that we see in the gospel, all the miracles, right? The woman at the well, the healings, the, the water to wine, um, all, all, of, all of the things that we see, mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. See, news travels fast. And people probably, most of the people here that were listening to this, they knew about the arrest, they knew about the trial, they knew about the crucifixion of Jesus. They probably heard rumors of an official announcement that his followers, Mary and the disciples, had stolen the body of Jesus just to make people think that he had kept his word and been raised from the dead. But Peter speaks the truth here, that Jesus had indeed 
been raised from the dead, and the, the resurrection proves that he is the Messiah, that he is Lord, that he's king. Amen? And he gives three proofs here of the resurrection of Jesus. The first proof he gives was the person of Jesus. A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. See, Peter's audience here knew that Jesus was a real person from the town of Nazareth and that he had performed many signs and miracles. It was clear that God's hand was on him. So what Peter's doing is he's sitting here and saying, hey, he, Let's just think about this. Think about the resume of Jesus. Don't think about the last couple of weeks when he was with Pilate and all these things and all the things that happened that led to the crucifixion. Think back a little bit. Think back a little bit to, to all the signs and the wonders that he did that proved that he was Messiah. That's his resume. And so he's pointing them back to the person and work of Jesus as a proof. That he, is who, that he is who he said he was. And now he has completed the work. And the second proof was the witness of the believers. Look at verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out everything. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. After his resurrection, Jesus didn't appear to the world at large. It would have been much easier if he had for the disciples here, right? It would have been much easier if Peter was like, yeah, you guys were there. You guys were there when he ascended into heaven. You guys were there. You saw the holes, right? I mean, I mean, I mean, how many of us say that to Jesus? God, it would be like, it would be so much easier if you would just like come down and hang out for a week and like just, just prove yourself in some ways. But he didn't do that. Why? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God's plan was for Jesus to not be a witness of himself to everyone. God's plan was for Jesus to be a witness to a few and equip them with the commission to go be a witness to the world. So all of this is fulfilling God's plan. And so the second proof of the resurrection was Peter giving this message. Peter proclaiming the gospel to a group of people whom Jesus' blood was on their hands. Can you imagine G Peter standing there seeing everything he had just seen over the last few months? I mean, the last time the last time that Jesus was really on the scene with these religious leaders, he was being crucified. And now Peter's standing up, bearing witness about Jesus. Let that sink in for a moment. That tells me that Peter had to feel that his life was on the line and, and bearing witness about this. Peter's life was on the line. And yet we're skittish about inviting somebody to church. Or, and he didn't pull any punches. Hey, his blood's on your hands. His blood's on your hands. And I'm bearing witness about it. 
right? Third proof of the resurrection. We've got to keep going. Third proof of the resurrection was the presence of the Holy Spirit, right? For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Christ, Lord and Christ. Follow this logic. Okay? If the Holy Spirit is in the world, God must have sent him. Right? That's what we see in Scripture. Right? You will see power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What Jesus say in John 14? Right? God must have sent him, and, and Joel promised that one day the Spirit would come, and Jesus himself had promised to send the gift of the Holy Spirit to his people. Okay, John 14. I'm leaving, right? Remember Peter was like, wait a minute, where are you going? I want to be with you. I want to be where you're at. Well, you can't come with me, but, but I'm going to send a helper. And you're going to be okay, right? But if Jesus is dead, he can't send the Spirit. Therefore, he must be alive. He must have risen. He must be alive. And so that's what Peter's saying. Listen, Jesus rose. He's ascended into heaven because he has now sent the Spirit. These people aren't drunk as you suppose. They're just filled with the Holy Spirit. The one that Jesus was talking about the Jesus that you killed. Right? And so Peter is giving a powerful message. And so Jesus has ascended into heaven. And then he explained why it happened. That you would know he is both Christ and Lord. So that you'd follow him. So that you would follow him. To save sinners so here's the point lordship let's talk about lordship let's talk about how to make him lord of our life okay so here's the point here's where we're hitting 40,000 feet we're coasting a little bit we're going to begin our descent right here here's the climax of the message if you're taking notes write this down here's the point of the message okay lordship involves giving Jesus the number one place above all the possible things in your life. Lordship, if Jesus is Lord of my life, it is giving Him the number one place above all, not most, all. Right? If Kristen comes to me, I didn't want to use this example, but if Kristen comes to me and says, hey, listen, I've been 85% faithful to you. That's not faithful. Right? I mean, you follow the logic, right? If I, if, I go to, if I go to a friend and say, hey, I've told you 85% of the truth. I've lied. Right? I mean, you, you catch me? You catch me? And so when we talk about all in lordship, it means all. That giving lordship, making Jesus Lord of our life, it's giving him the number one spot in our heart, in our minds, above all other possible things. Above marriage, above job, above finances, above children, above church, above recreation, hobbies, all. Music, movie, all, all. 
And that's why this is so pivotal for us. We want, right, to engage with God. We want to engage with the body of Christ. We want to be witnesses to the community. Yet so many of us are using the line of, hey, I'm 80%. You're 80% Lord of my life. Then he's not Lord. Then he's not Lord. Then he's not Lord. I mean, how many teammates want to hear you say, hey, I'm 73% committed to this team? Then don't play. Don't play. Right? Lordship involves giving Jesus the number one spot in our lives above all else. And here's where we go with this. And here's, here's that source of anxiety that we talked about, right? The, the what, what was it? 82% of young adults that say we're in a leadership crisis, right? Here, here's the issue. Here's the issue we're finding. We want authority and say. We want this and this. We want Jesus to be Lord of our life and be able to worship our kids. We want Jesus Lord of our life and love money. Right? We want Jesus Lord of our life and right, control. Right? And it doesn't work like that. Hence the reason for, the, for, for, for this leadership crisis to be causing so much anxiety in our lives. Because we are unwilling to let go of control and make Jesus Lord of our life, giving him that number one spot in our lives. So what do I do, pastor? Since you seem to have it all together. Well, let me flip my notes over and I'll tell you. Number one, first of all, disclaimer, right? Dave, don't put number one up. Disclaimer. This can't happen on a Sunday morning. I was talking to somebody in between services. He came up to me after the service, totally broke COVID rules, embraces me, just starts bawling. And he says, tell me what to do. I, don't, I, want, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. Tell me, tell me what to do. And I reminded him, hey, this can't happen in 15 minutes. This isn't a 3-2-1 lordship. This isn't Jesus Lord of your life in 20. Okay? It's not easy. Right? But what I know is nothing changes if nothing changes. And so here's four ways that you can begin a process of making Jesus Lord of your life that may take two years, two months. But we're going to get to at the end, it's not about attaining the perfection of Lordship. It's about the process of making Him Lord. So number one, here's four, four things. Acknowledge the fact that Jesus is Lord whether you want Him to be or not. Acknowledge the fact that Jesus is Lord, whether we want Him to be or not. When these beautiful little girls were born, they couldn't say, I want this color hair. Right? Make sure I don't have my granddaddy's hair. Okay? Make sure, right? I want this color eyes. I want this. 
that, that that's not how that worked, right? God created, God creates, right? As he chooses, as he wills, right? And so we recognize that he is Lord, whether we want him to be or not, which involves surrender. That we surrender and we say, here you go. You are the ultimate planner. You are, you are in control. You're in control. And so we recognize that he's Lord, whether we want him to be or not. And then number two, which this is big. This is big today. And this is going to hit every single one of us right between the eyes. We got to deal with why we don't want to acknowledge him as Lord. Okay, so he's Lord anyway. I think many of us jump on board with that. Yeah, Jesus is Lord. But why is he not Lord of your heart? Well, <laughs> there's, the, there's the kicker, right? We've got to deal with why we won't acknowledge him as Lord. And, here, and here's, here's the thing. Here's three possibilities, maybe three and a half, right? He may be asking to, us to do something that, he, that, that we don't want to do. He may, he may ask us to do something that we don't want to do. Last time I made him Lord of my life, right, he did this. And I don't want to go through that again, right? And so, and so I've got to deal with the past and the fear and the insecurity, right? And, the, and, the, and, and, and all of that in, in, in what it means to make Jesus Lord of my life. Because he may ask me to do some hard things, right? Here's another one. We don't want to acknowledge him as Lord because we know what's best for us, right? This is probably, this is probably the hardest one for me. I'm like, God, here you go. Here's what you can do for me. You can do this. You can do this. You can have that person go to another church. You can do this. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just making sure you're listening, right? But, but here's, a, I know what's best for me. I know what's best for me. I know what's best for my family. I know what's best for... I know what's best. And so you just, you, you, you go deal with Justin over there. I got, I got this here, but just, you know, don't forget my demands. All right? We know what's best for us. But nothing can be further from the truth. What about this one? We got to deal with why well, we don't want to acknowledge him as Lord. Maybe because we're not quite sure God has our best interest at heart. I'm not quite sure God has my best interest at heart, Pastor. Because I've lost this. Or he took this thing from me or this person from me. I'm not sure he has my best interest at heart. And some of us need to take a step back and even before we go down that road, some of us have issue making Jesus Lord of our life just because of the language, right? Just because of the language. In the same way that people tune me out the second I start talking about money from the pulpit, we start tuning people out when we start saying words like control or submission or master or king or Lord. And we have, to, we have to deal with the, with the feelings and the emotions and the, and the beliefs and, and the opinions and all the things that come to mind when we start hearing those words because all throughout Scripture, 
We have to wrestle with the fact, and, and, and really it's our wrestle because it's clear in Scripture, who's in control? God! I mean, from the beginning, if you've been reading your Bible in a year, from the beginning in Genesis, there's some pretty messed up things that happen. I was talking with Ian about this the other day. There's some pretty messed, thing, messed up things that happen in Genesis. But you know what's, what's, what's uh, um, consistent all the way through? All the way through this whole thing is that God is in control. He created and he's in control. And people turn to him and he gets involved. And he engages with people. He's in control. And so some of us have to deal with the language. Some of us have to deal with the, with the fact that, that, man, I've had issues before with leadership. I've had, I've had issues with this in the past. And this can't be right. But he's Lord. But he's Lord. So we've got to recognize that he's Lord whether we want him to be or not. We've got to deal with why we don't want to acknowledge him as Lord. Number three, very simply, acknowledge him as Lord. And some of, some of us have attended church for years and we've never done this. James 4, half-brother of Jesus, James 4, says this, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Acknowledge him as Lord. I mean, when we, when we, when we, go, when we go through things in life, instead of turning to everybody else, right, what happened to this? We sing about it all the time. We sing about bowing our knees before the Father. But uh, but, but but perfect example on Wednesday, right? Driving home, I get a phone call saying, "Have you heard what's going on in the Capitol?" No. All they said was, "When you get home, turn the TV on. Watch the news. I don't like the news. Watch the news." Okay. Get home, turn the news on. I'm, I'm crushed. I'm heartbroken. Heartbroken. I don't care. I'm just heartbroken. And you know what my first thought was? Sad to say, my first thought was, all right, I got to, I don't even know where my phone's at anymore because I just threw it a minute ago, but I got to get on Facebook. I got I to gotta, I gotta go live. For the church, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta just, I gotta, I gotta speak to the church. I gotta lead you guys. That was my first thought. You know what my first thought should have been? Man, I gotta hit my knees. I gotta pray for the people there. I gotta pray for, I gotta pray for our country. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta pray for our president that he leads the way that he ought to lead in this time. I gotta pray for the next president that. He doesn't say, no, y'all are too messed up. I don't want to do this. Right? I got to pray. And so I, I went out. I was exercising in my gym. And I just started weeping a couple times. Like, God, what did we do here? What is the response here? I don't know. But I, but I, never, I never went to him like this and, and placed myself in submission and said, God, you are Lord. And so many times we go through things. And the devil has a heyday with us because we're not acknowledging Jesus as Lord and we're just trying to fight the battle on our own. 
I mean, last Sunday when I talked about engagement, I said, we got to engage in the battle. Wednesday was a battle. Today's a battle. Guess what tomorrow's going to be? A battle. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And listen, we can't give him a foothold when we don't acknowledge Jesus as Lord. And then number four. Acknowledge he's Lord. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Why? Because Jesus has already won the victory. Number four. Recognize that he wants to be your Lord. Recognize that Jesus wants to be your Lord. Do me a favor. Look at the cross. It's right, it's right over here. Just look at the cross. Keep looking at it. Keep looking at it. That's proof that He wants to be Lord of your life. If you ever need a reminder that God desires you, that He wants to walk with you and be in control of your life, He sent His Son. And this was the message of Peter to the cross so that He could bear your sin, bear your shame, so that you didn't have to wear it today. So that you could walk in freedom with Jesus as Lord. I was reading about Lordship and John Piper says this, none of us loves God with all our hearts now. No, not one. So we pray. We know our own love enough to feel the impossibility of loving with all our hearts, souls, minds, and strengths. If we think we have or do, we deceive ourselves. First John 1.8 Sin will surface again and again. Fractioning off pieces of our hearts to be confessed, healed, and restored. We know we need to give God more of our hearts. Wholehearted love for God on this side of heaven does not mean perfection. Making Jesus Lord of your life, this side of heaven, does not mean perfection. That's not possible, is what Piper's saying. But it does mean singular and dependent devotion. We experience it now with God's help in our new hearts, and we wait for the day when our love becomes all, once and for all. Until then, we pray, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth, Unite my heart to fear your name. And so I want to leave you with six prayers. And ask, which one do you need to pray today? God, help me pray with all my heart. 
Psalm 119, 145, with my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. Number two, help me seek you with my whole heart. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Help me repent with my whole heart. Joel 2.12, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. God, there is ugliness in my heart, there is sin, and I repent. Number four, help me obey with all my heart. How many of you know with lordship comes obedience? Psalm 119.34, give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Number five, help me trust you with all my heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5. Number six, help me enjoy you with all my heart. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with, your, with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Zephaniah 3, 14. It was Andrew Murray that said, God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to Him. As the worship team comes this morning, we're going to sing a song as we always do. But I pray you don't sing the song as you always do. Because there's a message like this, I always believe that there's an invitation for all of us. And where in your life do you need to give Jesus Lordship? Where in your life do you need to give God control? Where in your life do you need to submit to the plans that He has for you? What prayer do you need to pray today? And again, it's not that we perfect Lordship this side of heaven, but it's that we strive for it. I don't know about you, but as I preach this message now for the second time and dread doing it a third, not because of the physical toll, but because this is a heavy message. And as I preach it, it brings up all the areas that I've failed in the last 72 hours to make Jesus Lord. But I don't know about you this morning, but I'm running to Him. Praying that He gives me understanding as Lord. That He forgives me as Lord. That I can rejoice in Him as Lord. And I want to challenge you to do the same. Can I pray for you? God, I pray that you would give us the strength to turn to you. Thank you for being Christ and Lord. In Jesus' name.